0: All right, are you guys ready for God's Word today? You ready for the Word of God? So we started a new series last weekend called Fixated. Fixated, and I'm I'm very excited about the series, not for a lot of reasons. Number one, this is just something that was on my heart for you. And so I'm excited to share kind of what God's speaking. I've, last weekend, we, we kind of kicked off this series and we talked about um, how we can get distracted and how we have to fix our eyes on Jesus. This weekend, I'm, I'm so excited. We're have fun today, y'all. But I'm so excited about God's word and what, what we're going to learn today, what God's going to speak today. And so I want you to lean in. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bible to um, 2 Corinthians 11 and Genesis 3 those are kind of our key text for this series um and then if you're a professional bible turner and you can like turn to one more passage then you go to Luke chapter 15. And if you're here and you don't have a copy of God's word, no worries. We're going to put everything up on the screens for you to, to make sure that you stay along and, and follow along with us. And Hey, if you're watching at home and you have a copy of God's word, like a Bible, get it out and go to church with us. Don't just come on. Don't just spectate, you know, participate, right? Participate. That's, that's what we, we don't need the taters like the spectators and the commentators. What we need is the participators, right? So, um, so make sure that you participate Today, but Second Corinthians chapter 11, we talked about last week. I won't do all the introduction, but Paul um, plants the church in Corinth. They go crazy. He writes a letter. It gets lost. Uh, he sends Timothy with a new letter. They ignore Paul. Then Paul shows up with what he calls a painful visit. And he's like, I got to set y'all straight. Most of the church, he kind of lines out. There is a, a fraction that is still not coming back into the fold, if you will. They're they're a little bit deceived. They're kind of out here. And so Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians is is kind of getting some closure with the reconciliation but then at the end he kind of makes a, a plea to to that group that still was outlying and that's where we get the the 11th chapter and so 2 Corinthians eleven three it says this and just read this verse because this to me is the key it says but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ so he's like, hey, I'm, I'm afraid just as the enemy led Eve away from the Lord, that he could also lead us or lead you away from Jesus. This is, this is, this is, a, this is a concern. And so when we're looking at that, I don't know about you. I'm, I mean, probably you are very mature believers who have never, never been led away from the Lord. Like probably you got saved at five and you're more on fire for God, like you've never made a mistake, you've never gotten distracted, you've never... But for some of us, like myself, uh, for some of us, like myself, I'm just kind of preaching to me, because y'all probably already know all this, but... um, and probably have never dealt with these things, but I have. I've been distracted. I've been deceived. I've gotten things in God's place. I've put things before him. I've, I've pursued some of the wrong things. And Paul's like, hey, this is the concern that I have. And the enemy is really good. He is really crafty. He is really tricky. And you need to understand something about the enemy. We're going to go back to Genesis three and see what he did. Two things I want you to understand from Genesis three is that number one, he deceived perfect people. He tricked perfectly because as a pastor, I've had someone tell me, Pastor, I know I'm not deceived because if I were deceived, I would know it. And I'm like, I don't think you know what the word means. <laughs> but also we need to see how he works because I'm convinced the enemy still works the same ways. And for a couple of reasons, number one, he's not ultra creative. He more perverts and distorts things than creates things. And number two, what he, what he did back then still works today, so why change? Well, <laughs> right? And so back to Genesis 3, let's look at what he did. Because Paul's like, hey, I'm concerned that, that he's going to lead you astray from your devotion to Christ. Genesis 3 verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you can't eat? Of, you, you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you will not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it or you'll die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so we're going to pray. And then we'll talk about it. I called this message unfiltered, unfiltered. And we'll explain that in just a minute. So let's pray. God, we are so grateful for your word today because it is truth. Like in a world where truth is sometimes hard to find and discern, God, your word is truth. And not only is it truth, it's alive. And not only is it live, but it's active today. And God, it is piercing our souls and our spirit and dividing. The Bible says dividing our souls and our spirit, piercing. And God, even, even to the thoughts and intentions of our own heart, the word gets down like a scalpel. And we'll do heart surgery on us so we understand what is us and what is you and what is truth and what is not. And God, that's what we ask in this moment. God, give us truth. Help us to hear you today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. So I don't know how many of you wear glasses um, I brought some glasses today. I want to talk about unfiltered, but glasses. These are, this is a pair of my sunglasses. I, I don't know. How many, do we have any accessory people in here? Like just, it's, we're in church, be honest. Like, you you know, watches, bracelets, necklaces, glasses, shoes, purses, wallets. Okay, now, now you're getting honest. Like, okay, pastor, you got me. I'm kind of an accessories person. I don't, I don't. I just am that way. I have a lot of pair of sunglasses. I have a lot of shoes. I have all, yeah, all the stuff. And um, I'm just that way. But this is one of my pair of sunglasses. I like this pair. I use this pair more in the summertime because they're blue and it makes me feel like I'm going to the ocean. And so it's a little bit of self-deception on my own self. Like when I'm having a hard day, I turn on the Beach Boys and put on these blue glasses and I feel like, come on somebody, Right? We'll have fun, fun, fun until daddy takes the T-bird away and I'll go on a surfing safari and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I like sunglasses um, and I like these. And, and um, the, the way sunglasses work, probably you guys know this, but the basic idea of sunglasses is, is they filter out ultraviolet rays, right? So they, 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 they filter out the UV rays um, which you know makes everything a little dimmer, if you will, or filtered, so you can actually see and not be blinded you know by by the light um, that's That's how they work right um, I have another pair of glasses I didn't bring them today, but um I use them uh, I, thank God I still have twenty twenty vision, and I'm just standing on the promises of God concerning that, and um because i'm you know I'm not as young as I was yesterday, and um and so um, I just quote the scripture that God, the Bible talks about Moses that he didn't, his strength didn't fail, neither did his eyes grow dim. So I just pray that over me every day. God, today my strength won't fail, my eyes won't grow dim. By the way, you do know you can pray the Word of God over your life, right? Yeah. And so I just pray that every day because uh, I want to keep my twenty twenty vision. Um, but anyways, I have another set of glasses and they're they're a mild prescription. Um, and they do two things. They filter out blue light because we work at computer screens so much, right? So they kind of filter out blue light and then they have just a mild prescription just to help me read where I can read a lot without my eyes getting uh, tired. My optometrist recommended them, So I'm like, sure. So another really cool about it, but here's what I know. If you have glasses today, you're like, dear God, what is he talking about today? Buckle in, Bubba. Um, if, um, if you have glasses today, this is what I can tell you about all glasses, glasses do not change what you're looking at they just change how you see it that's the that's the thing about all glasses lenses contacts they're all different types of filters and corrective lenses they don't change what you're looking at see when i put these glasses on i'm still looking at you it's just you're darker like i don't i don't see you because like you know what i'm saying like because we've got some filtering going on. It's not changing what I'm looking at, but it is changing how I see it. And when I think about the the craftiness, if you will, of the enemy, and I think about Genesis chapter 3, this is what I see going on. So last week, we talked about how the enemy got them to look at the wrong tree, and we talked about how he will get us fixated on the wrong things. But another thing the enemy does, especially when it comes to God, he's okay for you to look at God as long as you don't see him the right way. Like he will try to get you to look away. But if you want to look at God, he'll say, okay, you can look at God. Just let me filter something. Let me give you a set of lenses to see God through because I don't want to stop you. In fact, this can be one of the greatest deceptions that we experience is you can be looking right at God, but seeing him the wrong way because you are seeing him through an experience or a trauma or a pain or a disappointment. You're seeing him through something that's wrong or something of lens or a filter that's been applied. And when I when I look at Genesis 3, because what you see is is in Genesis 3, he starts he starts saying, you know, did God really say, well, God knows and God's really keeping some things from you and God, this is really a good thing. But God's and all of a sudden he he actually brought their attention to God. He just filtered how they saw God. And this is a way that he works in our lives. And that's why I want to talk to you about unfiltered. So now, if you're in Luke 15, I want to go to Jesus. It's like one of his most famous parables that he gives. It's the parable of the prodigal son. It's probably one of my favorites. But even though it's the parable of the prodigal son, it's also the parable of the loving father. And if I want to see God the right way, I can. There's there's some things in here that actually help me see God the right way. So I want to look at Luke 15 through a different set of lenses, somebody. Luke 15, verse 11. Now I'm going to read a lot of scripture. And if you're one of those like, man, he's just reading so much scripture in church. Let me just remind you what you just said. We're reading a lot of scripture in church. You're in church. That's why we're reading a lot of scripture. I don't ever go to a good steak restaurant and say, wait a second, you're giving me too much steak. I will complain if you do not give me enough steak or if you overcook the steak. But I will never complain if they give me too much steak. So we can't complain we get too much of God's word. You can't get too much of God's word. All right, so Luke 15, verse 11, he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. So the father divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, Vegas. And there he squandered his property in reckless living And when he had spent everything, and by the way, let me just, I'm not against going to Vegas. If you went to Vegas, it's not a sermon about Vegas. It's just kind of a funny thing that you didn't laugh at, so never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. And when he had spent everything, a famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough to eat? And I'm perishing with hunger. I'll rise and I'll go to my father and I'll say, I've sinned against heaven before you have no longer worthy to become your son or be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to have a barbecue because they were in Texas. (laughs) Come on there, have some beef ribs and some brisket, right? Let the Lord lead you. And so... Um three things in here if you're taking notes w- when I looked at the text to me and kind of read it in light of the filter that we're using today um I thought there's first of all I can see three filters in here that I think are pretty common and all in can I see three filters I think the enemy uses against us or uses on us that are pretty common I think I see the answer and the truth to those in, in the text. So I just want to walk through and we'll jump back and forth. to Genesis is going to be fun. But if you're, if you're taking notes, let's write these filters down. So the first one is this. The first one is this, the limiter. The limiter. Like I think the first thing that, that, that I see in the text is that Satan starts convincing us. <laughs> these are my favorite, by the way. I'll be wearing these all week. If you see me out in public, I want to take a picture with you. Uh, if you invite me to your event this week, this is what I'm showing up in. But, but, but look at this. Like, look at this. Um, look at this. It says, Luke 15, 13, it says, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and, and left. So so here's my question. Don't you think probably he had already planned to leave before he left? Don't you think he probably planned to leave before he asked for the money? Isn't it interesting with God, if we really pay attention, usually we're making a provision to leave him before we leave him? And and we know this this story, we call it the story of the prodigal son, right? And most of the time, we think the word prodigal actually... reveals to us why the son comes home. In other words, that's the explanation or, or that, that is how the word is used or how it's, how it's interpreted or how it's meant or what it means is that prodigal is someone that was away and they come home, but that's not actually what prodigal is. Prodigal doesn't tell us why he comes home. Prodigal tells us why he left because the word prodigal actually means unrestrained. In fact, there are versions that it says he says he engaged in reckless living uh, there's one verse that says, and he engaged in prodigal living, or he went and lived in, or, or went and participated, or, or went to live prodigally, or prodigal living, prodigal living. The word prodigal actually means unrestrained. In other words, he left because he was convinced that the Father was restraining him and he wanted to live a different way that he felt he couldn't live in the presence of the Father. <laughs> so hard to be serious with this thing like hitting. Yeah. Let the Lord lead you. And so he, this is, this is the truth. He left because this is what he said. God is restricting me from something. He is limiting. He is keeping me from something. In fact, if you want to dive in, I think there's two beliefs here that the enemy uses when this filter of, of God limiting is concerned. I think number one, he convinces us that God limits good from coming to us. That God withholds good. The other is that He limits us from good. And you can see them both in the tree back in the garden. Because here's what He said. That tree has good fruit and God is keeping good from you. And that tree does a good thing because it helps you know right and wrong. So God is keeping you from good. He's holding good from, withholding good from you and He's limiting you from experiencing what is actually good. And these are things we wrestle with. Isn't it? Because we'll sit and we'll we'll get, you know, something's happening, or better yet, we look and the Joneses have something we don't have. Somebody in live group testifies about something they have, and they're like, oh man, God did this amazing. And we now we're going on a vacation. And we're like, oh, we won't go on vacation. And, and the enemy, the enemy will put, put these glasses on us and he'll say, see, God is withholding good from you. And, and we will get in a wrestling match with God trying to convince him to be good to us. And being convinced in, a, in, in the same way that he's not being good to us. And that actually he's just giving us crumbs. When the truth is who God is as a person, think about this, he shows up to Abraham in the Bible. Abraham, whose name was Abram at the time, but he shows up to him and he's in idol worship. He doesn't know God at all. And God shows up and basically says, I want to bless you and I want to multiply you. This is why I'm coming. I'm not coming to keep you from good. I'm not coming to keep good from you. I am coming to be good to you. Like. Psalm 84 says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield that the Lord bestows favor and honor. And look at this. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Look at Romans 8 32. He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will we not also with him graciously. That word graciously means giving what you don't deserve. How will we not graciously with him give us all things? like I know the enemy and I know he's done this in my life and I know I can't be the only one. He will convince us through whatever the situation is that God's actually keeping a good thing from us. Whether it's a good job, a good relationship, fill in the blank. And what you need to understand is that is not at all what is happening in this text. The the father is longing to be good to his son. In fact, he is so good to him that he actually uses the goodness of God to move away from God. He uses the goodness of the father to move away from him. So, so God is not, I just want you to hear this. He doesn't withhold good from you and he is not withholding good from you. The second thing is God is not keeping you from good. Like so many times the enemy will convince us because, you know, there's rules in the Bible. We don't like rules. I mean, we like the rules we agree with. Come on, somebody. How many? am not going to get an amen today. No. <laughs> the truth is we like the rules we agree with. I'm a little bit that way. Just pray for me. But a lot of times when it comes to God, there are all these, you know, there's these commandments and these rules and these prescriptions and and, and all these things. And so many times the enemy will convince us, like God will set a, a boundary around something just like the tree in the garden. And he'll say, hey, don't, don't eat that. Don't do that. Don't, don't pursue that. And the enemy will, will put a filter over our eyes that makes us think, man, God is just trying to keep me from living life. God is just trying to keep me from having fun. God is just trying to keep me from all the stuff everybody else is doing. Like why? Why is God like? Why is God against me? Like this isn't going to hurt me. This is not a big. They did this. I can do. This. And and He will set limits on things. And He sets limits on things in relationships. He, he sets limits on financial things. He sets limits on how we live our lives. And the enemy will come and say, Yeah, He's just trying to keep you from from something that's good. And the truth is, the truth is, God does set limits. Primarily, God will always limit what He knows will kill you. He does set limits. You need to understand, if God sets a limit, He's trying to keep you alive. The other thing you need to understand is God will always limit what will replace trust in Him. I was talking with someone and. You know, there's, there's a lot of teaching on finances and things, and some of it's really good, some of it's really bad. You know, it's kind of like everything in church and theology. Some of it's really good, some of it's really bad. That's why you really, you know, what the Bible says, test the spirits. Like, you need to have some discernment. You need to know what the Word of God says. You need to be able to divide it for yourself, you know, rightly dividing the Word of Truth, that kind of stuff, because there's a lot out there. But someone was talking to me about, you know, the, the, the idea of prosperity gospel. And I think God wants to prosper us. I just don't think God's going to give everybody a jet airplane because you don't need one right? For some of you had your airplane, you crash it. You know, you don't know how to fly that thing. And so, but, but, you know, he, he was talking about this, like how much, how much does God want to bless us? And I said, the threshold for God's blessing is always, he will limit and stay right under whatever will replace trust. And the truth is for some people, a thousand dollars will replace trust. And for some people, 5 million will not replace trust. But God loves us enough that he wants to keep us relying on him. And so he does a couple of things. And that is, yeah, he's not a limiter in that he doesn't want good. No, God only wants good for you. He's not limiting you in that he's trying to keep you from good. He's limiting you because sometimes the things that will kill you look the best to you. Now, here's the other wild thing you got to hear about God because it's in this text. While God will set limits on what will kill you, and God will set limits on what replaces trust in Him, God also is not controlling. He is the most powerful and least controlling person that you'll ever meet. Because in this text, as I already alluded to, he gave the boy the money. Like God will let you. And just like Adam and Eve, he, you know, you think about it, did God know there was temptation going on? When the, Satan, when, when the Satan was sitting there saying, hey, y'all ought to try this fruit. Do you think God knew? I mean, he is all-knowing. Isn't it interesting he didn't show up and say, oh, oh wait, I talked to y'all about this tree. That's the devil right there. Like, come on, parents. How many of us would have like, whoa, throw the flag? No, this is what God did. He stepped back and said, I've already explained. You get to make your decision. He will set limits, but he will not control. He's not a limiter. He's the giver. He is not limiting your life. He is the giver of life. Right? Here, here's the second one. Here's the second one. I like this one too. I've got to find it in here. Um, the pacifist. <laughs> the, the pacifist. because pacifist. This is, this is something else the enemy does in our lives. He convinces us that God just doesn't really care about our lives. Now, you've got to look to see it in the text. I'll explain it in just a minute. But he will convince us that God is not concerned about the details or that God's busy doing something else or God's just throwing a party and saying, let it be, man. Groovy. Far out. And so it's almost like he convinces us that God is not near but distant. God is not concerned. He's busy doing something else. He's on the other side of the universe living his life, and he's just letting everything go however everything goes. And, I mean, you, you, can, you, you can almost see it in the text but because if you think about it, is this not what happened? Here the sun is. Think about this. He leaves home and he wastes everything. Now he's starving to death. Couldn't he have said, surely dad knows what's going on. I mean, I posted it on Instagram. <laughs> and sometimes, th- look at this. He views, uh, oh, this is what we, you got to get this. So many times we look through a lens where we don't see the activity of God and assume God is not concerned or active about what's going on. In other words, we're in our pig pen, we're in, we're in the mess, we're in the mire, the clay, give it whatever analogy or picture you want, and we're sitting here like, God, why aren't you, like, God, surely you know. God, I did put it on social media. God, I threw up, God, hello, you know, and we're just assuming that God's not working because we're not seeing it. But think about this where the prodigal is concerned, where this son is concerned. How long do you think he would have stayed in the pig pen if the father kept sending him care packages? Sometimes the inactivity of God is actually God being active. Sometimes him not rescuing right away or delivering right away or stepping in. or Sometimes that is God working in a lot of different ways. And you need to understand that sometimes what we view as inactivity or God being passive, we don't even understand what God's actually working towards. And sometimes God's like, if I answered that prayer, that would keep you from something else. If I answered that prayer, that would keep you from getting closer to me. So I'm going to be actively inactive. Let me show you this in the text. Um, Luke 15... 20, it says, and he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran, embraced, and and kissed him. Now, I want you to think about this. Like, I don't know. I've never squandered a fortune before because I've never had one. Um, But how long do you think it took for him, he gets his inheritance, and he goes to a faraway country, and he blows it all, waste it all, Then has to go find a job feeding pigs. And then he's feeding pigs. And then finally has this epiphany. You know what? I should go home. Can we all say, just using your holy imagination, that takes more than a day. Like, wouldn't that? I mean, maybe six months. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe a year. Maybe two years. I don't know. I don't know how long. We don't know. But I just know it didn't happen in a day. Here's the point that I'm making. When he finally comes home, the father's looking and waiting. Again, this does not look like a passive father. This is not a I was like, oh, I'm busy. Oh, he finally showed up. Well, good for him. This is a father who was actively looking and actively waiting, even though it seems like there's no activity. He's active in the inactivity because he is waiting on his son to come back to him. This is this is not a passive. He's not being passive. He's not being uncaring. He's not being unconcerned. He is, he's also not being controlling. But he is actively waiting for his son to come home. Look at Psalm 37, 23, because I love this one. Psalm 37, 23 says, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail. Of their lives. Now like verse 24, I just threw it in. It's a bonus verse. They stumble, but they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Look at that though. He delights in every detail. This does not sound like a disinterested God to me. This doesn't sound like a God that's not working. This doesn't sound like this guy's like, well, I'm just, you know what? I'm not really worried about it. You know, whatever it is, make your own decision. You made your bed, lie in it. No, no, this sounds like a God who is watching over my life all the time and who is looking at every detail, who is concerned. This sounds like the God Jesus talks about when he says, even the hairs of your head are numbered to him. I had an old-time preacher explain it this way. He said, that doesn't mean he counted and knows how many hairs you have. That means when you brush your hair and you lose a hair, he's like, oh, hair 10,842 just fell out. Because <laughs> each one of them has a specific number. Like this is God. Now, now here's what you need to understand about God, because remember, he's not controlling God, you know, the enemy comes to us and he says, God's not active. God doesn't care. This is what I need to tell you. God's as active in your life as you allow him to be. Right? If you think about it, all the activity of the father, if you think about it, the father is constant and consistent in the story. The activity of the father in the life of the son is determined by the movement of the son, not the movement of the father. When he is with the Father, the Father is active. When he's away, the Father is waiting. When he comes back, the Father is active. Are you with me? In other words, the Father is always wanting to be active and always wanting to be involved. But it's, you know, I've found this in my own life because people will say, you know, God just feels distant. And I understand. I don't know what that's like. I've had those feelings. First of all, you need to understand feelings are feelings, not necessarily facts. Right? Right? Like if you can, if you can learn now, I'll save you some counseling. You can feel something that's not factual. You can feel unloved and still be loved. You can feel alone and not be alone. Like feelings tell you the truth about what you feel. They don't tell you the truth about what is real. Are are you with me? Because I deal with this too. I have feelings. Earlier this week on Monday, I had some feelings and I was frustrated because there wasn't any reason to have those feelings. They were driving me nuts just because they were there. I was talking to my counselor. I'm like, you know what? I'm having a day. This is how I feel. And I know that's not even real. And I can, because I know it's not real. And I've been taught well and I understand this. I'm not going to go with any of those feelings, but they're annoying me because they're there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But sometimes we don't feel like God is near. And and when when that happens, we need the, the facts. And the facts are God is as close to you as you allow him to be. Sometimes I ask this one time. He said, I don't feel like God is is near me. I said, I understand that too. My question is, where'd you leave him? Because that's what you see in the text. Father's constant, consistent. The son leaves. The son comes back. The father's constant, consistent. So we have to understand like where God is concerned. Listen to me. You're as close to God as you want to be. I'm as close to God. God's, what did James say? Draw near to me. I'll draw near to you. So I determine how close to God. I am not God. But then the other side of that is that God is as active in my life as I allow him to be. Do you know what allows God to be active in your life? Surrender. Because that's how the son comes home. I'm going to surrender. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just give me a job. Like I'm coming home completely surrendered. And it's actually surrender That allows God to be active in our lives. I think sometimes when Paul says that his strength is made perfect in our weakness, I think so many times the reason we see God working more in weakness than in strength is because our weaknesses are easier to surrender than our strengths. And so in your life today, I can tell you where God is working and I can tell you where God probably isn't working. God is working wherever there's surrender and he's not working wherever you're still in control. Because isn't it true? I don't know if you're like this. I'm a little bit like this, so I'm gonna tell on me, and you can just either identify with it or say, "Oh, you're a terrible person." <laughs> I can't believe you. <laughs> Typically, we like to control how and when God works in our life. Yep. Isn't, it, isn't it true? Yep. Like we we kind of like you know like God here is where you can work, and here and a lot of times, guys, to be honest, our prayers are actually fixated on getting God to work in our lives where we want Him to work, when we want Him to work, how we want Him to work. And the truth of it is that surrender is where you really get to see God work. I am not saying you shouldn't pray about your family or your life or your business or your kids or no, no, I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying we have to be sensitive to the fact that sometimes we like to control. This is the problem. We like to control where God is active, and God is active where we're surrendered, not where we're controlling. Are you still breathing? So God is active. He is not passive. Here's here's the the third filter. The third filter. I like this one. I got to find these. Yeah, here we go. The judge. Because this is (laughs) somebody said, come on now. (laughs) This is a lot of people. We all listen, we all deal with this one. Come on. A lot of people, in fact, there are some people that still are staying at a distance from God because you think God wants to judge you or he is judging you or he's going to judge you. You think God is the judge. Uh, let me read you a text from the text Why I thought it's interesting. Verse 22 it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Well, that's a strange scripture. Does anybody else, did, did y'all follow? Y'all did follow the story, right? So he asks for his father's retirement while his father is still living. And he takes the money and he runs off and he blows it on all types of unmentionable things. Because we're not going to talk about that because we won't talk about those things in church. We won't talk about drugs and sex and being crazy. Okay, we won't talk about that. And then he comes home stinky, with no shoes, dirty. In fact, that's, where, that's why there's no mother in this text. That boy walked in the gate and she was like, whoo, and she goes to run the bath. He stings. And you know what I don't see? Do you know why this doesn't make sense? Come on. If you're a parent or you've ever been a kid, there's some things that that should be in this story that are not, such as, I told you so. Well, I hope you're happy now. You should be ashamed of yourself. Where's the money? What were you thinking? (laughs) Come on, somebody. What were were you thinking? If I had a quarter and my parents are here for every time I heard, son, what were you thinking? My answer, I'm a boy. I wasn't we got to be 26 before we start thinking. Science tells us testosterone damages our brain, and it takes until you're 25 for that thing to start working right. I wasn't thinking. But shouldn't those things be in the text? Where's the money? What do you think? You should be ashamed of yourself. I can't believe you. How could you do this? Like, those are things, but that's not what you see in the text. This boy shows up and the father's like, get the best rope, get a ring, get some sandals, kill the cow. We're having a barbecue. Doesn't make sense if God wants to judge us all. I don't see any judgment in the text. What What I see is some repentance and some grace, but I don't see any judgment. I don't see where he was punished. I don't see where there was retribution. No. I see a good father who didn't want to judge. Amen. I need you to understand today, I'm gonna to read you some verses, and let me just preface this by saying if you tend to be more religious, we're about to find out. And if you're <laughs> and 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 if you're a little more legalistic, I'm about to jump up and down on a nerve or two. But we're going to look at what the Bible says, because look at this, John 5, This is Jesus talking. He says, in addition, the father judges no one. Instead, has given the son absolute authority to judge. All right. So what did that just say? Just so we're real clear. What did that just say? God is not judging, but gave authority to the son to judge. Is everybody clear on what we just read? Everybody see it? It's in the Bible. We didn't make any of this up. All right. John 8, 15. This is what Jesus said. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, did you see that? So so here's what we've learned. According to Jesus in the Bible... God is not judging, but is, said the Son can judge. And according to Jesus, three chapters later, he says, I'm judging no one. Okay, so now, just so you understand that I'm not crazy, let me put everything in the perspective of right theology, because some of you are like, no, God is going to judge, because you're quoting the scripture right now. It's a point on the man wants to die, and then the judgment. And you're right. There is judgment coming for everybody. But God is not judging today. When Jesus in Luke chapter 4 stands up and he says, Hey, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel for the poor and the covering sight of the blind and several of the bruised, he said it's to preach the year. That could also be the time of God's favor. In other words, he's saying we're in a, a set season or dispensation of grace where judgment is stayed. So if you understand at the end, however you see the end, right? Eschatology, however it works for you, there are two judgments at the end, right? There are two judgments. There's the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ. So it's, it's true. I point unto man once to die and then the judgment. And at the great white throne judgment, that's where people are judged for sin. If they're not in faith in Christ, that's where they're judged for their sin. That's where judgment is handed down right? Truthfully, we're already judged. That's just when it's handed down, right? Then there's the judgment seat of Christ. That's where believers go, and that's where we're not judged for our sin. We're judged for what we did with our salvation. So the judgment seat of Christ is really where God wants, Jesus wants to reward us for our faithfulness. So let me say it this way, when I believe in Jesus here, in other words, what I believe determines which judgment I go to, but at the judgment seat of Christ, if I was in faith, what I did with what I believe determines how I spend eternity. So if you study the Bible, we're not actually all, we don't all turn into fat babies with togas and harps and we don't sing in choirs for all eternity. Heaven's actually like a, it's like a city. You know what I'm saying? We're citizens, right? And there's things to do. And so so what I do with my salvation determines how. And Jesus talks about, I mean, he was the first one that had a rewards program. He talks about how we can be rewarded for our faithfulness once we come to faith in Christ. In other words, everything you do matters, right? So I understand there is judgment that is coming, but we need to come back to where we are right now. And this is what God's saying. I'm not judging you right now. And Jesus saying, I'm not judging you right now. I am not the judge today. If you want to come back, you're not going to be judged today. If you want to come back, you're not going to be condemned today. Like, like you, you, need to, you need to understand. Let me, let me say it this way because a lot of times we put these on and we think not only is God a judge, but he's an angry judge. Because there's a lot of people who think God is angry. Did you, Luke 15, this, this boy wasted his father's retirement if there was cause to be angry, don't you think this was a good cause? But do you see any anger in the text? Like I need you to understand, God is not judging you today, and you to understand, God's not angry today. Let me help you say God is in a good mood. In fact, I have a verse for you. Isaiah 54. Verse 9, this is not some obscure passage. This is after, after the exile, Israel comes back to Jerusalem. This is the promise of hope and restoration that God gives his people. Isaiah 54, 9, it says, This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore. Now, when God swears, it's big doings. Because if you're God, you don't need to swear. And there's only a few places, actually, in the, in the scriptures where God swears. But it's like ironclad. He's doubling down. He is making a point when he says, I swear, because he's perfect. And remember, it says, when there was no one to swear by, he swore by himself. Remember that verse? Like, that's a big verse. So here he is. I swore that the waters of Noah... (laughs) This is freaking me out. Anyways, I swore (laughs) that, that the waters of Noah should no more go over there. So I have sworn that I will... Look at this. I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So here's what God said. God just said that. Did you see what God just said? He said, I am not an angry judge. I'm not judging you and I'm not angry with you. But I messed up. He's like, I don't care if you messed up. I'm not angry. And I'm swearing that I'm not angry. Well, how can God watch everything and not be angry? Because God's not codependent on us. We don't actually control his mood. He's in a good mood. Let me help. I'll save you some more counseling. You can, no matter what your situation, actually choose to be in a good mood. We call that the fruit of the spirit of self-control. And God is actually in a good mood. Now, here's what he's saying. But what what about sin? Has God gone soft on sin? Does does God not care about sin? Is sin no longer punished? No, 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 no. Here's the good news of the gospel. 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered for our sins. Everybody look at this. Once for all time. For how much time? He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring us safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but was raised alive. Look, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. Do you understand what I'm saying? That all sin, you need to understand this. All sin has been paid for. Think about this. If you sin tomorrow, Jesus isn't coming and dying again. So God didn't go soft on sin. He went hard on sin. In fact, in one sacrifice, he focused all of his wrath on sin. He he focused all of his judgment. It was all fixated at one place, one person in time. God did not go soft on sin. He's happy and in a good mood today because all sin's been paid for. Listen, if you don't believe in God, He has still paid for your sin. What saves us is not how we live, it's how we believe. It is not sin that sends us to hell, it is unbelief. Amen. To as many as received Him, to those who believed on Him, He gave the right to become sons of God. Not to those who performed or lived sinless lives, did He? No, those who believe. It is faith that saves, not what you do. And you need to understand the reason that applies is because God punished all sin. He punished your sin. And the reason God is not judging you is because he has already judged Jesus. And the reason he is not condemning you is because Jesus was already condemned. And the reason God will never punish you for sin is because he already punished Jesus for your sin. And that's why he's in a good mood. That's why he's happy. Because he has made a way for you back to him. And so you need to understand that, that, that you, the Bible says you're in, you've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. You've been moved into a new realm where there is no judgment and penalty and condemnation. And you're under a new reign. There, no now, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You have a new king who doesn't condemn. And you need to understand today that God is not a mean judge who is out to judge you or condemn you. In fact, he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so that you could be right with God. And God is not mad, and He is not judging, and He is not condemning, and He is not out to punish you. He is out to be good to you. And you say, Well, how do I see God? Like I wanna see God. I want to see God. I got one more for you. I want to see God. Like, like, how do I see Him? Don't be jealous. How do I see God? This is what Philip said. He said, Jesus, show us the Father, and it'll be good enough for us. And Jesus said, If you've seen me, you've seen what God looks like. You need to understand, God is perfect theology. I'm sorry, Jesus is perfect theology. You need to understand God looks just like Jesus. He was, he says the express image of his person. And if I want to see God, I got to take these other filters off. No, he's not. He's not a limiter. He's not a pacifist. He is not an angry judge. If I want to see God, this is why he says fixing our eyes on Jesus. Because if I want to see God, I just have to look at Jesus. Because you can't have an angry God and a nice Jesus. No, you can't have a God that that because he's mad at people makes them sick and a Jesus who's bearing stripes for their healing. You you can't have that, right? You can't have Jesus running around forgiving condemned people and God running around trying to condemn sinful people. No, if I want to see God, this is what Jesus said. You want to see God, you just have to look at me. That's what he told Philip. If you're seeing me, you're seeing God. I am the expression of the totality of the image and the nature and the character of who God is. And so today, if I want to take these filters off, like I pull those filters off, but I'm like, I still can't see God. You just got to put the Jesus filter on. And this is where, listen, if you want to see Jesus, let me tell you where you see Jesus. You see Jesus hanging out with the worst of the sinners. Come on, right? Come on, let me say it again. If you want to see God, where do you see God? Hanging out with the worst of the sinners. Like if you want to see God, you see God calling fishermen and tax collectors who, who, to be in his inner circle. Like if you want to see God, you got to look at him healing the demonized boy when the father had no hope and no one else could help. Like, if you want to see God, you you got to see him allowing his whole day to be interrupted because a man's daughter was sick and dying. And he's like, I'll just, it's not, not only am I not passive, I'll scrap the rest of my afternoon because you need me right now. Like, if, if you want to see God, you got to see him touching the leper when everyone else pushed them out. They were the outcasts of society, yet Jesus, God touched them. Like, if you want to see God, then you got to see him weeping with Martha and Mary when Lazarus dies, knowing he's going to resurrect him. Yet he stops and mourns and grieves with them. Like, if you want to see God, you got to see him stopping and saying, no, let those kids come hang out with me. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Like, if you want to see God, then you got to see him make an appointment with the woman at the well. And going out of his way to meet with a woman who was an outcast, who was rejected not only by men, but rejected by culture and society, who was going to the well in the heat of the day because no one else would be there, because she couldn't go when everybody else went. And God makes an appointment for that one woman. If you want to see God, you got to see him washing the feet of Judas minutes before he betrays him. Like, this is how I know what God looks like. He's not, he's not keeping me from good. He's not keeping good from me. He's not disinterested or, or, or inactive in my life. And he's not angry and he's not judging. No, God is good. He is loving. He is kind. He is merciful. He is the giver of good. He is the giver of all things good. And he is in a good mood. And he is not angry. And he is not judging. And he is paid so that he would never judge. He is paid so he doesn't have to be angry. And he is paid so for the rest of your life, he can do good for you. That's who he is. You just need to see him through the right filter. Amen. Yeah. Why don't you stand up today? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. If if you're helping us with that today, we we end every every time we're together. We like to end with giving people an opportunity to receive prayer. And so today you get whatever you need prayer for. Um, Maybe you're here and maybe you're one of those people you've been staying away from God because you thought, man, God's out to get me. Maybe you've never had a relationship with God and you really feel like you need one because we all do really. Maybe however it is, or maybe you just need prayer for anything. We want to pray with you. So let me pray for us, and um, let's bow our heads, and I'm just going to ask God to talk to us about any filters we may have that's hindering the way we see God today. It could be one we talked about, it could be a different one, but God, I just pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. And God, I just pray for every person in this room, God, you would show us if there are filters that need to be removed. If maybe we're looking at you, but we're just not able to see you the right way, God, I pray all of those filters would be removed. And I pray they'd be removed in Jesus, that you would just, through Jesus, help us to see you. So, God, I just pray that every person, online, in person, wherever they're at, God, you would speak to them. And, God, if we're not seeing you right, show us the adjustment. Show us the filter. Show us the truth so we can remove it. God, we all want to live lives devoted to you and close to you and near you and following you. God, help us to be wise concerning the craftiness of the enemy. And God, I just pray today, Lord, I pray just thinking and ideas and just the way people see things that have been wrong, God, would just be revealed and and those filters would be destroyed. And God, people would see you so clearly. God, that's what we pray for. Thank you, God, for your word again. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for truth. Thank you for loving us and never giving up on us. Thank you for being good to us, being active in our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Listen, if you need prayer, then we want you to come in a relationship with Jesus or you just need to come back to the Lord, whatever it is. We want to pray with you. If you need prayer for anything, faith, family, finance, whatever, we want to pray for you. Other than that, say big God bless you. I love you so much. I hope you have an incredible day. It's beautiful outside. Have an amazing week, and we will see you next weekend. God bless you.